taught us about God, how to fear God, how to love God, and how to forgive. Yes. And each one of us forgive the killer, the murderer. You do. We, we want to wrap our arms around we do. him. We yes. absolutely do. We don't. I honestly can say right now that I hold no, no animosity against in my heart against this man because I know that he's a sick individual. I know that, you know, because of his sickness, whatever evil overtook him that caused him to do this to my dad is not him. It, it wouldn't be something he would typically do. And I promise you, I could not do that if I did not know God, if I didn't know him as my God and my Savior. I could not forgive that man. And I feel no animosity against him at all. I actually, I feel sadness in my heart for, for this him. man. I do. I feel yes, real sad. All of us. And we want to, you know, we lost our dad, but this mother lost her son, um, lost her children. His children lost their dad. That's and incredible, the girl Tanya, that, that you're thinking about you know, that even in your time of grief that you're thinking just, about them. It's just, it's just what our parents did. Us. But it wasn't that they just taught us. They didn't talk it. They did they it. They lived it. They lived it. Like they lived people would do things to us, and we would say, "Dad, are you gonna really forgive them, really?" And he would say, "Yes, we have to." So, my dad would be really proud of us. And he would want this from us. He would. And he would say, Tanya, forgive them because they know not what they do. Debbie, you know, you, you talked about how, uh, Tanya, you talked about how your friends growing up said that they, they wish they were Godwins. I think a lot of people watching tonight, and I know certainly I speak for myself, I wish I was a Godwin right now because you all represent your dad incredibly well. <laughs> Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank I, you. I wish you peace and, and strength in the days ahead. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. God so bless much. you. Bless you. Are you cynical? Is that real? Is that typical? Is that human nature? Talk to me. Some would say, who are cynics, would say, well, they're, they're still grieving to the degree they don't even know what they're talking about. Is it close to being Christ-like? I mean, this just happened. It's Wednesday. That happened Sunday. He goes to McDonald's, Steve Stevens, orders some chicken nuggets and french fries, but he likes his french fries hot. One of the individuals at McDonald's recognized him. There's a $50,000 reward. They tell him to hold on the French fries. Got to get them hot <clears throat> while they call the police. He finally decides it's too long, pays and leaves, and the cops fall right in behind him. And, of course, he took his own life. I saw that. Lynn put that together and said, you might take a look at that. And I thought, when I looked at it, I thought, that's not human. But you got to ask yourself, is, uh, is that a reasonable posture to take? 
Is that, is that a reasonable posture to take? Is it one that you might say, well, God would not expect us to have that kind of response. You see, that right there was reality. But if you, uh, if you just really read the Bible, what they are demonstrating and manifesting by their testimony just really finds a good solid alignment with this book. A good solid alignment. You look at that because if bitterness comes in, bitterness has no boundary. No boundary. Resentment has no boundary. Hate has no boundary. You hate one person, you'll begin to hate others. You find fault in one, you'll begin to find fault in others. You find resentment in one, you'll find resentment in others. And you have to learn to protect yourself. And so the story tonight, Love Overcomes, is the story of Joseph. Because Joseph had what I call a similar understanding and lifestyle that, that is shared by those two sisters, the daughters of, of Robert. So I want to give you what I consider to be three points in the story here of Joseph, keeping that as a foundation to understand. Number one, love keeps a tender heart. Would you say that with me? Love keeps a tender heart. When I wrote that and the Holy Spirit gave it to me, I thought tender. What does that mean? Soft? Uh, tender, what does that mean? Uh, weak? Tender, what does that mean? Is it like, uh, you know, not strong? Uh, you see, it takes, it takes more will. Try this on for size now. It takes more will to be tender than it does to be tough. Everybody with me? More will to be tender than it does to be tough. Love keeps a tender heart. Genesis 45, this is where the brothers of Joseph have met him. And it says he wept so loudly the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. This meeting right here, where Joseph, of course, it's been 13 years since he has had an opportunity to see his family. There's been zero communication, and in the understanding of his brothers, he's not as good as dead. In their mind's eye, he is dead. That was the number of years, 13, that they had not been able to communicate. And it's a, it's a miracle that he even, don't you see, see how you feel about it? It's a miracle that he even wanted to see them. I mean, who's ripped you off that you don't care to be in their presence? Who's lied to you? Who's knifed you? Who has hurt you? Who, who has gotten in your way that in reality you don't care if you ever lay eyes on them again? Who is it that's harmed you, spoke ill to you, and pulled your platform out from under you, and created an opportunity for bitterness in you, and you don't even want to see them anymore, and wish maybe some things that are not so good would happen to them? And yet, Joseph wanted to see his brothers. There must be something that, wow, and here we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the injection of the Holy Spirit. And that day, they had Jehovah. 
You and I have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You and I should emulate far more love and tenderness than Joseph ever thought about having. But there was a reason. He was the father's favorite child, next of the youngest of 12. He was going to be the heir, hated by his brothers. I mean, despised him, made fun of him all the time, and gave him up for dead. You're talking about a psychological problem. He's only 17. He's only 17. 17 is young. 17 has maybe a little stubborn slant to it. 17 could easily write you off. 17 could say, get off. I don't care if you like me or not. Sold in to Egyptian slavery. It's the story of Joseph. He had every reason under the sun, as these ladies did, to be bitter, bitter, to be resentful, to be depressed to be emotionally damaged, and to be hard-hearted and cold. You know, hard-hearted and cold. And our text finds him that 13 years later, unknown to his brothers, he's moved with compassion and tender-heartedness. Takes more to be, more power to be tender than it does to be tough. The story says he couldn't contain his emotion. He, he wept loudly with joy, and he calmed his brothers down. You see, remaining tender in your heart, in the, in the, in the curveballs the enemy will throw at you and at me, with the conversations, with the challenges, with the misrepresented misrepresentation of facts, with the things that get under your skin. You see, to be tender-hearted through life in general will take effort every single day. Keep me sweet. Keep me tender. Keep me pliable, Jesus. Wow. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, because of the Lord's great love, say great love, great love, we are not consumed. In other words, it's saying that God has every reason to sizzle every one of us. Well, you said you were not going to fail again, but you did. Well, here's 50 times you failed. You said you're not going to do it. I've had enough of you. I'm going to sizzle you right now. I'm going to put you in the George Foreman, and I'm going to press it down. But why? Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for His compassion. I would say the only thing I can take or understand the motive of Joseph and these ladies is the compassion that's there that never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What did he just say? You have the privilege every single day to receive the compassion of God. And let that flow in and through your life. Joseph revealed the heart of God and why. It was why that God chose him to lead eventually his people it was that tender heart of compassion and, in fact, mercy. Joel 2, verse 13, rend your heart, tear it up, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for why? He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity, holds back from sending you and me what we deserve. So how many times a day does your heart ball up a fist because you want to get at somebody? How many times a day is it you want to backslap somebody? 
And I mean, and you don't get over it. It remains in your spirit once it's there. Unless the Holy Spirit deals with that, it will grow. And before long, bitterness will replace sweetness. And in the same heart, you cannot have bitterness and sweetness at the turn of a faucet. Everybody with me? All right, Joseph had the opportunity to rebel. What held him back? Did he have a good case? Psychologists would say that he had a great case, that he could become hard-hearted, yet he chose, he chose to remain tender. You see, things to remember is that a tender heart is godlike, and a tender heart gives you the advantage, and a tender heart renders your enemy helpless because they can't deal. You see, a, a natural person, a natural response cannot deal with a supernatural response. And a tender heart will open the door for blessing. Romans 12, Paul writes 12, 20, 21. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll be heaping or heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. With good things with good things. So, that's a challenge. Love maintains a tender heart, but love, as we know, and we demonstrated in the, in the Scripture, it maintains a proper perspective. A proper perspective. Genesis 45, 8. So then, it was not you who sent me here. Joseph speaking to his brothers, but God. It wasn't you that did this to me, but God, oh no, oh no, brothers. I am not going to let you off this easily. Oh no, you are the ones that were involved. You made the decision. You're the ones that kicked in. God didn't have anything in the world to do with this. That sounds like to me a typical cultural response. You could get a parcel of people to support you with that. Well, yeah. You have every right to go over and just slap the living daylights out of them. You know, just, just go after it. But this is what he says. So then it wasn't you to send me, but God, he made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and a ruler of all of Egypt. What does he mean he made me father to Pharaoh? What in the world is that? I dug a little bit. A father is considered to be the spiritual umbrella. Who is the Pharaoh? The Pharaoh is the Egyptian powerhouse. And here's what this means. It meant that by sending Joseph, whose heart was pure, into the household of Pharaoh, an Egyptian powerhouse, it says that Joseph became the spiritual covering for Pharaoh in his own house. Wow. How do you do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became father to Pharaoh over his, and became ruler of all of Egypt under the leadership. Friend, having a tender heart will enable you to maintain a positive perspective about a lot of things when your world is falling apart. I spoke to a 93-year-old man the other day. Matter of fact, it was, what is today? Wednesday, it would have been Monday morning. 
And I said to him, he was having a problem. He's out in his lawn uh, yard on the, on the slab, concrete driveway, walking around. He's stumbling around a little bit. And I said, whoa there. He said, yeah. He said, I'm stumbling around. You know, like I'm dry, I just can't, I can't make it. I can't, I can't, I can't hardly, you know, stand up straight. Well, I said, well, you know, at least, at least you have the ability to be mobile and get up and walk. And he paused. And he said, well, you know, that's, that's positive attitude right there. I can at least, because I, I just witnessed someone on television locked into a wheelchair and could not walk. So what do you do? How do you form that positive perspective? Oh, I get the encouragement from out here. No, you don't. There's nothing out here that circles around you that's going to give you a positive perspective. The positive perspective is going to come from the intimacy that you and I have with Jesus. Does that sound reasonable? It's according to the Word of God. You see, when your world is falling apart, when it's not going right, our enemy is not people or circumstances or a godless world. Our enemy is Satan himself. And every bad thing that's ever happened to you, every difficult thing that's ever happened to you, every sidewinding baseball that's ever hit you smack on on the nose, my friend, if you respond to that correctly, God will always take that bad and turn it into something profitable and good for you. So be careful how you respond to those things. That's right there in this book. Joseph at 17, here it is, lost his family, sold to be a slave, to die, placed in prison, falsely accused of rape, placed on death row, but he maintained a positive attitude, a positive perspective. He maintained it. So what are you struggling with tonight? Those of you here and listening online, what are you struggling with that's trying to steal from you that positive perspective? That's trying to steal from you that positive attitude. You see, whatever it is that the enemy's trying to steal from you must be valuable or he wouldn't bother trying to take it. It's the ability to view things in their true relation relative to their importance. You have to wait until you can see past the blood and the cursing and the bad to be able to see maybe what God sees. Joseph remembered the Word of God. He could not let it go. It was real to him. It was Genesis 37 that one day he would rule. And you and I have that promise. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his rights. Seeking him first. Everything, thought, word, deed, attitude, seek him first in all the things that you need. You look at your life and you say, buddy, this is what I deserve, but that's not what I've gotten. So what I've gotten is this, this, and this. Let me just tell you something. That is because of God's favor in your life. And sometimes the way you manage the circumstances, you see, life will try to steal your dreams. Somebody say amen. They will. Life will try to place you in the pit of despair and pity. 
and devour and detour your focus from what you should be doing as opposed to on the sideline, messed up on the sideline instead of focusing on what the real thing God wants you to do and create circumstances cause you to want to be to quit and run away or to become hard and callous. Either way, you lose. If you're in ministry, if you're a Christian, if you go to church at all, there'll be plenty of opportunities to cause you to want to quit and want to run, want to walk away, or to become calloused. But have you ever determined that your perspective may not be the God perspective? And that to get the God perspective, you begin to mine the particles of your life to say, what are the good things that I need to find for myself that brings glory and honor to God? He maintained that perspective for 13 years. He chose the fact that his dream was bigger than his trouble and that his love was not conditioned upon his circumstances, and his perspective was conditioned to be positive. And it was no wonder that when he saw his brothers, he could not contain himself. Why? In that moment, God gave him a panoramic view of the dream he had 13 years before. And some of you have lived long enough. You have seen a dream that you had for months or years come to pass. And boy, didn't it look sweet when it came to pass. Somebody say amen. It happened. It happened. Why? He maintained a tender heart and he kept a positive perspective. It's not easy. That's not easy. Love produces a fruitful future. A tender heart, positive perspective, but a fruitful future. It's important that we bear fruit at any stage or any season in our lives. Because when we fail to bear fruit, we know what happens in the Bible. He says, you have no reason for being. You never are able in the Bible to get to a season where you're not bearing fruit. You say, well, I'm old now. Well, you know what your fruit to bear when you're old is teach the young. Teach the young. Make an influence. Let them see an example. Let them understand it. Let them witness what it means at this stage in your life that Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and he's just the same as his lovely name. That's the reason why I love him so Sing it, for Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Joseph is one happy camper. Genesis 45, you can see for yourself. And so can my baby brother Benjamin, that it is really I whom am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And boys, bring my daddy to me as quickly as you can. 
get him here. You didn't say, bring my old man. Because what caused Joseph to have the constitution in his heart first came from a supernatural God, but it came from a natural DNA out of his own father. I want to see my daddy. I know, I know that lawn talk is my father, but yard talk is I want to see my daddy. Why? The hours and hours and hours when he could have been churning out the bitterness and the resentment he was churning out, there will be a reunion one day. There'll be a time of celebration one day. That's why the Bible says don't become weary in well-doing. Don't faint because there is coming a day, hallelujah, when there is a celebration time that is going to take place in the house of God. Amen? Don't let the enemy steal that away from you. You see, at that moment when he looks upon them and he says, bring dad, if you don't mind, could he still remember the rejection? Sure. The enemy sat right there. Could he still smell the jail cell? Sure. Could he still hear Potiphar's wife scream? Could he still remember that he was forgotten by the, the chief butler or baker? Could, could, he, could, he, could he just forget all that? No, it was all there. But the sight of his family, the sight of the fruit, the sight of the beauty of what was there, hearing that he had a baby brother, hearing that his father is alive, and having the power being second in command caused all his previous circumstances to be pale compared to the joy he felt right now in his heart. You want future joy? You want future dividends? You want future victory? Be careful how you manage through when the fire's coming at you and the bullets are flying and the, and the accusations are going in. The heart and the grief is torn apart and stomped on. Be careful how you manage through that. Because the victory that is ahead, and there is one. Amen? There is a victory that is ahead. Is really contingent upon that. You see, his love story ended here. He was on the seat of power delivering his people, providing for his people, his people. Do you know that when they came in, for example, he had his brothers come in when they came in the second time, and they're going to have dinner with him or supper. The Egyptians would not sit down at a table with a Hebrew. So you have Joseph in his big bang wall. You have Joseph at a private table. I mean a big private table where the food is. And over here, you have, the, you have the Egyptians because they refused to have dinner with the Hebrews. And then you had Joseph's family over here. 
And Joseph kept loading food up, his butlers and cupbearers, over to his family. And Benjamin, here's what the Bible says, Benjamin got five times the amount of food of any of his other brothers. He was the horse Cartwright and the little Joe all put together in one. Why? Pay attention. Why? Because Benjamin was now the seed of promise for the future. You think young people are important? You think young students are important? Do you think young couples are important? They're the seed to the future. Give him five times. He got five drumsticks. He got five mounds of baked potatoes. As a matter of fact, he probably had a baked potato, sweet potato, and mashed potatoes all together. He had cornbread. He had biscuits. He had rolls. He, in other words, he had a what's he saying. Notice everything the Bible says has a meaning. Put it on him. And when the brothers, here's what it says, came to the realization that this was no fluke, that they were not there to be set up by Joseph. Here's what the Bible says. Study down deep below what the King James or the NIV says. It says, when they realized this is the real deal, a real family reunion, it said they chowed down and ate with great joy and great laughter and said, wow, who would have ever thought outside there's a famine going on. Outside we don't have anything to eat and our crops will not grow. But on the inside, in the place of favor, we have more than enough. When you begin to build your life in that regard, and that's why when you come to church, out there is a famine, out there is hate, out there is bitterness, out there are all the things that will turn you sour. But when you come in and worship with the family of God, I'm telling you, the favor of the Lord comes down, and we honor Him in power, honor, and glory. Amen. It's no wonder we get excited when we worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. Put your hands together. The story ended delivering his people, providing for his people, reunited with his brothers. He ruled 80 years and died at 110 years of age. Well, here you go. Who won? We want to know who won. Well, when you do it God's way, you hear the testimony of international news and you hear these two sisters talk about wow our father taught us to forgive we said dad do we have to forgive you sure do you have to do you think that's a message that the enemy was really happy with do you think the cynicals 
will say, well, they've lost their mind. Nobody acts that way. But two ladies did. And you know why? Because there was an Israel, a father, who shared his DNA with the two daughters. And when push came to shove, they said, we forgive him. Who won? Joseph did. Who won? His brothers did because of Joseph. Who won? His people did. I studied carefully and it'll tell you that 70 of Israel, Joseph's brothers, sisters, cousins, in-law, all of them came, 70 of them came and received the best in Goshen that life had to offer. His father did. His enemies did. Pharaoh and Egypt did. Why? Because one man, just one, decided to do it consistently, keep a tender heart. He had to fight to maintain that positive perspective. And he came to find out that he was able to enjoy the fruit of what it means to do it God's way. That good enough? Would you stand, please? Let's give God a thanks offering. Can we do that? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful tonight because we know that you just do not make any mistakes. Nothing happens in your economy by mistake. No circumstance, nothing in the day-to-day activities of our lives happens and is a surprise to you. And so, God, there may be some circumstances that we really don't care about, circumstances that maybe we don't like, but we're going to keep a tender heart. We're going to maintain a proper perspective. Maybe there's something that you see that we don't see. Because, Lord, we want to see fruit. You are the great producer of fruit. But it has to be done your way. The seeds have to be planted the way that you say plant them. The instructions have to be observed. We follow that spiritual guidance from spiritual leaders, and we believe, God, that you will direct our path. I thank you because I know that you care for every single one of us. So for those who are listening right now online and in this room, in my future transmission of this service, God, we want to be able to identify what might be in our heart, what might be a hang-up, something that we're holding to, something that we've given ourselves permission to live with, something that we won't let go, something that we're not trusting you. You will take nothing from us without our permission, our will, without our verbalizing it, not just thinking it, but say, I give this, Lord, through a verbal conversation, I give this to you, Jesus. I'd lay it down. I will keep laying it down. I will keep abiding day after day until finally 
peace comes. Oh God, we rebuke the devil and every stinking lie that he has ever sold to us. And we declare that we are claiming our future, our victory. We are claiming our miracles. We are claiming the fruit that you have for us that's manifested by you. And that, Father, if we're going through where there's a sharp curve and we ran through the curve, there surely must be a reason you're going to reach out and lift us up and bring something out of it that honors you. If we get mad and begin to spit and curse and gnaw and all that goes with it, we're going to miss that. And we're going to have all that pain for nothing. It'll bring no result that will bring you honor and glory. So help us. Help us. Help us. And Joseph said to his brothers, you didn't send me here. God did. God did. And I declare his honor and his glory. If you're in this room tonight, heads are bowed or whatever by online, whatever means of communication, and you might say there are challenges in my life, circumstances that I really do need to just give it to the Lord. I just want to shift it over to him. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know what, I don't know how supernaturally, because it's pretty deep. But I know I have to start by saying, take it. God, I pray in Jesus' name, we'll have a perspective from the inside out. I'm going to ask everyone to repeat this prayer. Would you do that with me? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I have sinned. I have sinned. I need forgiveness. I need your love. I need your compassion. I need your touch. Help me maintain a tender heart. Help me pursue you. Allow my arms to always be open to embrace your truth. Allow my heart to always be open to embrace your truth. Allow my mind to erase the things that have hurt me and to embrace your truth. Father, I desire to grow and honor you in my heart of hearts. Forgive me. I now pursue you and declare that you are my Lord and you are my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's clap and give God a thank you offering. Can we? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We understand this, don't we? When you make those kind of statements and it is a struggle because you verbalize, God, this is what I want you to do. But every promise is not realized unless an action has taken place. You can say, I verbalize a promise, and people are standing back and say, okay, you said it, but, but what are you going to do about it? Well, I promised. Well, show me the promise. Show me the promise. Show me the promise. And then let me share this with you, really, just quickly. Here, here's the Word of God. It said, you have a promised land, guys. That land is your promise. Go in there. They sent the spies. That was their idea. <coughs> they came back. All kind of fruit that's there. But their perspective was so raunchy that 10 of them could not grasp that, hey, that manifestation is God's desire. And so God said, that's your land of promise. But what did they have to do? They had to say, we received the promise. And God said, now, go fight for the promise.
Go claim it. Go take it. It's yours for the taking. And that's what happens every time we get to this part of the service. I'm learning you have to go for it and take it. So if God's speaking to you and pulling you down front, we're going to sing this worship song through. You come right on down. If not, you stay right where you're at. You're safe in the will of God. Here we go. You come if you believe that God is speaking to your heart.